Welcome back to DC Cinematic Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze Dawn of Justice by each individual minute. My name's Nathan. Uh, you can check me out all over those internet waves at No Clutch Nate. <laughs> and I'm Mark. You can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows. And I'm Father David Mowry. Uh, I am on the Twitter at, at Father Mowry. That's F R M O W R Y. There we go. And it's just on the Twitter. Don't even don't even dare look at it anywhere else. Uh, <laughs> you, today, gotta, you gotta spread it out. You gotta tease them day yeah. by day. Oh snap! Oh, you want the Instagram one? You're gonna have to wait till Thursday. Oh, uh, that's the trick. Yeah, yeah that'll oh. give me time to set it up. We do. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Let me take at least two photos to make it look like I'm doing something. <laughs> oh man, uh, today uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about minute number 107 of Dawn of Justice. The minute's going to start out with uh, Jonathan Kent's um, continued uh, parable. Mm-hmm. There we go. And uh, the minute's going to end with the, that same ghost Jonathan Kent, uh, you know, telling his son that he misses him. Oh, Aww. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Aww. See, that that's questionable now, because obviously he didn't tell you I miss you, son, back in the day. <laughs> That's new material. <laughs> I miss you, son. Yeah. I think that is the most, that is the closest Jonathan Kent ever got to telling Clark, I love you. Because I, I think in the Kent household, Jonathan wasn't a man of very many words. I don't think he was very expressive and demonstrative with his fatherly love. So I think this is the closest he's gotten to expressing something approaching an emotion. You know, it'd be hard when you have an <laughs> alien child. I wouldn't know. I would. <laughs> That would be... uh, I, of course, wouldn't know anything about having an alien child. Uh, let's move on. Yeah, I, 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 I think about it all the time doing this podcast to, to be in that position. Jonathan Kent's position? Yeah. Or just have an alien child. Yeah, and then also like, what, is it, what is, if it's like the alien, that, like the baby alien tentacle one from Men, from in, Men Black. in Black Two yeah. or whatever? Yeah. Wait, was it Men in Black? One? It was just Men in Black. Oh, it was Men it was in the Black. First one. Yeah, I don't know. It's a squid. Congratulations, it's a squid. Ah, oh, Will yeah. Smith, what a treasure! <laughs> what an icon, <laughs> for real. Now, uh, now I'm thinking about Men in Black. Dang it, yo! I, someone's got to start it. Someone needs to do that mm-hmm. podcast. It needs to happen. And as as a man in black, that may be something I have to pursue. Ooh. Where <laughs> <laughs> you have to talk about I'm aliens little... one minute at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh man! <laughs> That's what we're doing. This we're doing this week. We're talking about an alien, at least yeah. yesterday and today. So this this parable that Jonathan mm-hmm. says. Okay, so the, he he gives this story where he worked his butt off. He worked until he fainted. They stopped the water from washing away the farm, and he got a hero cake. It's a nice subtle use of the word hero in the dialogue here. And Mm. then turns out the water backed up into the Lang farm. And I do I do like the the call out to the Superman lore. I do like they Mm. mentioned the Lang family. That is nice. Um, And, you know, washed away the horses and they haunted Jonathan's dreams. So Clark went up the mountain and found his dad. Jonathan would go up the mountain and find these dead horses, I guess. That's terrible. Waiting for him. Yeah, <laughs> Again, horses. In the extended cut, oh yeah, also horses. Uh, yeah. Recurring uh, motif yeah. throughout this film. But yeah, hmm. uh, as, uh, as... But now the horses Oh yeah, from the, from the first scene where Bruce is wandering around in the debris field and that riderless horse trots by. 
I think we're at like mm. seven horses. Yeah, now. there's been a bunch of horses. There's probably there's probably <laughs> an ex- there's and probably a specific horses. number. They're probably like, yo, we need seven horses throughout this film. <laughs> like yeah, probably. explicitly seven horses. Yeah. Um for whatever reason. Well but, mm, but I would just like to imagine that like Clark is seeing, Justice League, they had more horses, so that's like there was like five of them. Maybe there's maybe seven. there was seven. Yeah. Seven Justice League members, seven oh, there's actually six in that movie. But anyways yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's just funny to think about Clark seeing ghost dad and then ghost dad seeing ghost horses. <laughs> horses, yeah. It's terrifying. <laughs> That's an extended extended cut. They had the horses there too. <laughs> He's like, Oh, you got a problem with me being here? I gotta get <laughs> these dead horses. <laughs> these horses follow me everywhere. Horse. Jonathan, you killed oh, us. My God. Mr. Ed. <laughs> Mr. Ed is a ghost. That's just terrifying. Um, it was super horse. It could talk. Jonathan, you monster. No, but I mean, but really, what this story is really interesting because it ties into what I was talking about yesterday about the 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 low anthropology of superhero movies. So here's that example of that, where Jonathan and his family work all night, work until they faint, and they still can't stop that flood from affecting the neighbors. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting to me is that the, the point of the parable is that inability to stop evil, that evil must go somewhere, that you can work as hard as you can, but it's still going to uh, spill over and affect somebody's life, which is mm-hmm. really the most un-Superman message that I could think to put into a Superman movie. Yeah. Again, uh, we, I mean, I guess we should be used to a questionable Jonathan Kent, but this is how I wanted to answer your question from yesterday, Mark. Like, I don't know if this is what Clark, again, is in his mind wanting to hear or, uh, needing, to or hear. needing to hear. And like, how do you, how would, I guess your mind like concoct this vision or, or ghost or whatever and telling you something that you need to hear unless it's Christmas already been Eve. heard? Like, I don't, I don't again, know. like, that's the thing. It's like, it's a story. Something. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess already been heard. Like, I, and I, I could understand know. Clark feeling this way after the Capitol bombing because he was there and he was unable to do anything. Yeah. But he didn't, he, it's not like he knew the bomb was there and it's like, you know what? No, I'm going to let the bomb blow up. That's okay. These people need to learn a lesson. It's not like he made a choice not to act. He was just surprised by it, mm-hmm. which this parable kind of misses the mark on that because Clark, uh, Jonathan and his family knew the flood was coming. And so they rushed out to meet it and did everything they could, but couldn't stop it from killing Mr. Ed. Yeah. So <laughs> like they say, they think... say themselves, but they didn't save their neighbor kind of thing. Like yeah. they were, what they were digging for was to make sure that the Kent farm stayed okay. But mm-hmm. in doing so you sacrifice the safety of your neighbors and so what I wrote down was like, you know, the, the overall kind of message I got is similar to yours, where is, is consequences are inevitable. Like you, we, we have to make choices in life. Which is like the theme throughout this for the first two movies. Yeah. You know, Steel Superman representing not only not represent, it's not really about Superman representing hope. It's about him representing the, 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 the power of, and freedom of choice. Like mm-hmm. you have to preserve that which makes you special which is the ability to choose but in doing so you you know consequences chaos conflict are inevitable they will continue to be there especially if you're superman um and i think you have to come to terms with it which is what i feel like jonathan kent is saying here is like listen 
it's not always going to be perfect. And you, you know, like you, you have to continue to make these choices and to continue to roll with the punches, but like, you know, but maybe worry about the Lang farm first instead of worrying about yourself. (laughs) Well, see that that's interesting because I think what, how Jonathan answers this problem. So that the problem here is the guilt, the, the guilt that Jonathan Mm -hmm. felt over Mm -hmm. being unable to save the Lang farm, which mirrors Clark's guilt over being unable to save all those people in the Capitol. And so John, so Clark asked the question, did the nightmares ever stop? You know, when do you stop feeling guilty? When does this stop affecting you? And Jonathan's answer was, when I met your mother, she gave me faith that there's good in this world. And then this really crucial line, she was my world. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems to me, I have a couple notes on that first. It seems to me, first, Jonathan is saying, you can't worry about the whole world. You got to shrink it down to the people that you love. That becomes your world. And then you worry about saving them. So I think I, I think it, this goes to what you were talking about, uh, Mark, about choice. The Superman hasn't chosen his world yet. And he says that before he flies off when he, he sees Lois on the balcony oh. that my world is gone. Superman hasn't made a choice yet. And so Jonathan is saying, I made a choice about uh, what I was going to save. And that, that was your mother. She gave me faith that there was good in this world. So she became my world. She became the thing I wanted to save and preserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I've always had a problem with that answer. It's always seemed extremely That's good. Selfish, me too. But I think that's me like wanting to be like having a Jedi teach me like these, this lesson. <laughs> and I think that's where like my, I hit a, just a massive brick wall where it's like, really? Love is your answer? That's, that seems to be like that could cause way more problems. As we see it does in Bruce's Nightmare. The whole exactly, world goes yes. to crap because Lois is gone, and the the you know the world of a god like that was taken from him, so he destroyed this world beneath him, and that's like I can't. Yeah, that makes this that lesson in. really suspect. Yeah. It, it's it's if this was the first time that line "she was my world," if that was the first time this line showed up in this movie, like oh okay, all right, I can kind of get that this is this is good advice. It Clark yeah. has to choose yeah. to love something in this world in order to be motivated to save it. But the first time the line shows up is in the nightmare. Uh, yeah. It's when yeah. Superman is getting ready to do very unpleasant things to Bruce Wayne. And he says, she was my world. So that was the first time this line shows up. So it shows the danger in making this kind of selfish choice. Yeah. That you, when you constrict your view to just this one person, this one relationship, you get into a lot of trouble. Yeah. And I remember during Man of Steel, when we were covering it, I was all for Jonathan Kent and like the whole famous answer of maybe, you know, should I have let them die? Like, hey, maybe. I like that. It well, was he, didn't say, he didn't say that casually. Hold <laughs> on. <laughs> he was, uh, maybe. I don't know. He was, he was conflicted want. because he's never seen a yeah. Superman Which thing. I, I so like he didn't that know that, that was a possibility. I like him not having all the answers. But then this ghost version, like concocting this very selfish answer, mm-hmm. I, took, I took his whole story as all being negative. Like the world there can't be any heroes like, Hey, you try to do one thing good. It's just going to ruin the lives of someone else. And that's like what Superman's like uphill battle has been for, I think for this entire movie. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, again, is that what Clark is wanting to hear from his father? That's backwards. And that's really negative. And I don't really Mm -hmm. like this, this negative Jonathan Kent. I was about it. This time it's like a little too far. (laughs) 
I'm about it, but does it does it remind you of a, another certain Star Wars kind of ki- connection? No, because it's so. It doesn't absent. remind you of someone recently <laughs> in Star Wars? Maybe, but I haven't thought that far because I hit the brick wall of saying that's not what a Jedi would say, and I think that's <laughs> what I try to take all my life lessons from, and 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 try to. I don't know. Maybe I've just been comparing a Superman to Jedi. Uh, well, <laughs> comparing Superman to a Jedi too easily. Superman would be that. on the Jedi Council. Would he be granted the rank know. of master? I don't know. <laughs> because he's very selfish on things about making his world smaller. I mean, like we've just Superman been has, about. like, well, he's way too old to begin the training. I mean, they would oh, never yeah, accept him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a silly rule right there. I don't know. Sometimes it's just too <laughs> negative. Like, this was a little too negative for me. And I think part of the problem with this answer comes from uh, a problem I have with the parable overall, because I have a, a theological problem with this parable. It presents uh, the the flood as an image of evil, uh, like you just said earlier, that consequences and chaos are always going to be there. But mm-hmm. that presents evil as this thing that exists as a positive force in the world that is at work and must be prevented. And I think that idea is a bad one. Uh, evil comes as uh, not as a positive force, but as a lack of something. Evil shows up as a privation, as uh, you know, like uh, a hole in a bucket is evil. That's an evil bucket because it's not a, it's not conforming to the model of a good bucket. So the evil, though, in these comic book movies, has to show up as a positive force and as something that can never be fully defeated. Because, well, you know, if you definitively defeat the villains, you have no more, no more comic books to sell. So yeah. evil from a, in a comic book universe must be presented as this positive force that's always at work and it's always going to show up somewhere and it's never going to be fully defeated, which works really great for drama. But you know, as a, a world I would want to live in, I would not want to live in the DC extended universe. <laughs> it is a very dangerous place to be. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you would. You shouldn't live in Metropolis in general. I don't oh know, I no! What I am surprised anyone no. still lives in Metropolis after Man of Steel. I'm, yeah. su- I'm, I'm surprised the whole place isn't just a FEMA uh, refugee nightmare. Yeah, very well could be. Like almost when they were debating uh, about New Orleans' this fate, like post Katrina, where yeah. it's like, what was do we that do- real? What do we do with this mm-hmm. uh, bread bowl? <laughs> <laughs> rough um but yeah no i mean it's just this i i couldn't get past the the selfishness out of all this we'll see what character are you talking about in star wars that it's supposed to remind you of come on man is it obvious it's pretty obvious right father it's supposed supposed to be luke skywalker yeah old luke last yeah yeah, old luke Mm -hmm. old man luke where he's like you know you know they called me a hero or I was a legend. I was a legendary mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker. This, this, and the other. And yeah. in my moment of doubt, I failed pretty hard. And like, now we have this character who's is like weathered. He's there's doubt. And but then again, it's like, did he not pass on? I don't know that. What even uh, even Yoda shows up to old man Luke and, and gives him word. Sorry, I'm spoiling this movie. If you haven't, wow. Seen okay, it, spoiler know. wall is Snap. down, everyone. Sorry, uh, yeah, if you haven't geez. seen the it's... Last Jedi, we're gonna try and treat this very circumspectly. <laughs> it's not. Dang, <laughs> you just went right for it. Well, if, even he shows up and 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 Yoda is saying like, uh, we grow from our, our next generations. They they learn even from our own failures. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so it, you know this moment where he, he has fails in this story and it's like, 
learn from my mistakes. And it's like, if it'll hurt you, at least protect the Lang farm next time. Like, like you have to make choices. There's going to be consequences all the time. There's no, there's rarely ever going to be a perfect answer mm-hmm. or solution. And, and, and so wait, you're saying next time protect the Lang farm is no, like, the, no, please learn from my mistakes. Is that what this is supposed to be? Like, Hey, make the world smaller you find like your mother was my world so like would he have protected i see his i never like, i never took is that, that as, what he's supposed I, to see tell i never took it as a selfishness of like oh let me just protect martha kent i always took it as you know you can't do it alone have people to help support you and lois lane is always there supporting him that is that should be your world because those people like this whole planet is your world like just, like just find support in them like like he helped she helped him um, again, this whole movie is a, is more uh, pointed towards mothers than it is fathers. So it's like here's the mother who is helping this quote unquote hero get back up on his feet, kind of thing, right? So is she helping? Uh, I think so. I, I honestly I, think so. I don't think her advice was very good. Be there, hero, or don't be. You don't owe this world a thing. But uh, Martha, no. <laughs> I think it was. Pl- we talked about it. it. Was placed at the wrong moment where it should have hit harder. It that was, scene should yeah, have the been ed- somewhere. The editing was uh, yeah. is interesting. It's a little off. And I that would, scene was supposed to be before the Capitol thing. No, before him going after uh, Bruce. Uh, it was supposed to be before he was making that choice to to like attack. I guess maybe, but in terms yeah, but of the know, plot of the movie, that's very difficult to do given what Martha, what happens to Martha uh, in the plot yeah. of the movie. <laughs> Yeah, that motivates yeah. Superman I mean, to go after Batman. Yeah, you don't want to push your character to be a hero, right? You want to like have them want to be the hero. Like you can't just be like, "Hey, listen, in life you should be a hero always, all the time." Or should you give them the 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 tools to to, to want to be a hero? Like, hey, you have these abilities, you can do great things if you want to, like do or don't. But like. You got to decide because what you're going to choose to do in life, it's going to. What do you set them up for failure to see if they overcome it? (laughs) This is it. Yeah, I think I think the problem with that line. I know we're talking about a scene that happened earlier, but I think the problem with that line is Martha presents being a hero and not being a hero as both being equally valid choices. When she is talking to Superman, those are not equally valid choices for Superman. Superman must rise to, I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm on the side of Jor-El here in terms of mm-hmm. make, using the powers because he has been given these abilities. They point his life in a particular direction. And it, this comes from my Christian understanding of a vocation that God makes each individual human being with certain gifts and talents that point that person in a particular direction. You know, God gave the two of you a particular love for the DC extended universe and that has pointed you in this direction. You've ended up here dedicating your lives to this podcast because you have that, that talent, that gift and that desire to do it. So it is with Superman. He's been made a particular way. His, his abilities point him in a particular direction toward a particular vocation for Martha to say, oh, be their hero, don't be their hero, you don't owe this world anything, I think is uh, muddling the uh, overriding philosophy that should govern Superman's life, that he is Superman, he rises above, he presents this positive example of power used for good. But because he chooses. 
Yeah, he has, to, he has to make the choice, but I don't think they're equally valid choices. I don't I don't think if Superman chose to hang up the cape, that would be a good choice. Like, yeah, good for you, Clark. Yeah, you know, just give up on being Superman. I, I don't I, I think that doesn't ring true with the character. No, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and I, I, I think he doesn't even think they're equal. Like I, like, I have complete faith that Superman is like, listen, I know I have that choice. I know I could swing either way with this, but I know in my heart that I will never stop trying to do the right thing. That's just who I am inside because of, you know, where I come from and all the history leading up to where I am now, that I know what the right choice is. Like, he is so morally sound that he knows. But it's nice to have that kind of like, hey, no one is threatening you. No one is forcing you to be Superman. If it's too much, you know, just know that you are making that choice. And I think that's in, it's it's great to kind of uh, remind that person that, you know, they're, they're choosing to be a hero. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is weird advice. It is. It's controversial. <laughs> it's debatable. It's sure. But it is kind of nice to to be enforced that like, hey, you're not being Superman because people are forcing you to be Superman. And it's amazing that you're deciding to continue to be Superman regardless after everything that seems to be happening, all the events. Like consequences are inevitable, but you're still choosing to be Superman. That's great. So that's pretty much all I got. (laughs) Um, Let's see. So basically, then we get, uh, well, that's pretty much it, right? That is it. So if you didn't have anything else, I do have my next installment of Christ and the Cape for today. Oh, please. Please, please, please. Okay. So uh, yesterday we talked about anthropology. So today I want to talk about Christology, which is the study of Christ. So we mentioned that superhero movies have this low anthropology. We have a humanity that cannot save itself. So you must have, therefore, an outside savior figure. And the DC universe has this in space. I think a lot of the DC heroes are Christ figures. They they uh, repeat themes and images from the life of Christ. And we we're kind of beaten about the head and shoulders with Christ imagery when it comes to Superman in these two movies, both in Man of Steel and this one. Um, what with the stained glass window and the church in Man of Steel and flying out of the you know, big Crotonian ship in a cruciform position and other things that may come up later uh, in this movie, even though I haven't seen those minutes. So I, I'm just watching this movie one minute at a time. <laughs> anyway, so there's a lot of Christ imagery that Zack Snyder is using to present Superman. I don't think it entirely works, or at least it doesn't work just because of who Superman is as a character. So um, to explain about this, I'm going to have to get into everyone's favorite, some ancient Christological heresy. So come back with me to the fourth century. uh, And let me introduce you to a man named Arius. Arius was a priest in uh, Alexandria in Egypt, and he wanted to present the story of Christ in a way that would land for the people of that time. And so what was the culture dominated by in terms of thinking about the divine, thinking about gods? Well, it was the mythology of the Greco-Roman world, which was full of gods and demigods. Arius saw that that was something people responded to. He also wanted to preserve God's divinity, that God 
is not something of this world, that God is not a material creature, that God is something totally other than anything we can encounter in the known universe. So therefore, Jesus Christ, according to Arius, could not be really God because, well, God isn't a creature. So you can't have Jesus and, and God be the same thing. So he presented Jesus as the highest of all creation, a sort of quasi-divine figure that was sent by God the Father to the world in order to save it. Superman is an Aryan Christ-like figure. Uh, he is not of this world, but he is definitely a quasi-divine figure. He is immune to harm. He has strange powers. He is not like other things in this world. So he's sent, uh, the Arian Christ is sent as savior to teach and to inspire. The, uh, the problem with that is that as we will see later on, there is a disconnect then between the Arian Christ and the rest of humanity. Well, the Arian Christ, this quasi-divine figure, isn't really human. It, it's also not really God either. So what does this thing have to do with me? And there's going to be a, a line that echoes that later on that I wish I was going to be around for. But there is uh, that similar identification with Superman. He's not God, but he's also not human. So what does he have to do with this world. Clark isn't a man and he's not God. So he has to fall into that role that Jorel gave him back in Man of Steel, that, that you're meant to lead them. They will stumble, they will fall, but you will lead them to their, they'll join you in the sun to lead them to something better. So that kind of uh, use of Superman as this Aryan Christ-like figure presents... Um, this theological problem. Well, he's, he's not human. So what does he have to do with our condition? He cannot understand our weakness, our fragility, our fears, our difficulties. So the Orthodox teaching of the church that rejected the teaching of Arius said, no, Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is consubstantially is of the same substance as God, but he is all, he also fully shares in our human nature. Um, there's a, a word that we use in theology that refers to the self-emptying of Christ. Jesus comes and he empties himself of all of his divine glory, his divine majesty, and his power, and he is born as a child in Bethlehem in straw poverty. There's no self-emptying in Superman. There is no moment where he lays down his power. He's struggling with the question of whether to use it or not, but when he comes among humanity, he does not lay down that power and enter into vulnerability because he can't help it. It's a matter of his biology. He's an alien from another planet, and he's strengthened by the radiation of our yellow sun. So he can't stop being invulnerable. So that lack of humility, that lack of self-emptying just because of who Superman is, sets up this conflict, this tension with the rest of humanity. What are we supposed to do with this figure? Whereas Jesus Christ enters into our human condition and is truly God with us, even to the point of dying on the cross. Where to start? Uh, <laughs> uh, wow. Um, so are you saying as we write Superman stories in the future, should we lean to that, the, the, the self-emptying? 
Well, I think if if we're gonna, I mean, it's I I point it out as because there's a lot of Jesus symbolism in these movies, and I think it's important to mm-hmm. recognize the kind of Jesus that's being presented here, and it's it's this um, quasi divine style figure, which is something that creates that disconnect between the savior and those who are to be saved, that there must be a solidarity. There must be a sharing with everything that makes us human. If someone's actually going to come in and save us from evil. So in, in writing Superman stories in the future, if there are any comic book authors listening to me, I would be really interested to see Uh, that kind of vulnerability, not because there comes along a monster who is stronger than Superman and able to kill him, but because Superman willingly lays down his power. He is able to divest himself of that in order to enter into some kind of true act of self-sacrifice. Well, I'm taking notes. Yeah, (laughs) it's recorded. You don't have to. Um, It's already recorded. That's very... That piques my interest. I like, like how you mentioned that, uh, like the kind of Greco-Roman like world full of gods and yeah. and stuff like that. Because it felt very like you were referencing like Krypton almost, like the, mm. like he comes from that world mm-hmm. kind of thing. I don't know that's something. That, and like we were in Man of Steel, we we ha- when Jor-El was kind of giving Kal-El a history lesson, they used Greco-Roman style storytelling in mm-hmm. there. So it was really interesting that you brought that back to me in some ways. So yeah. That, Interesting. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, Nate, did you uh, have anything to say? Sorry, I think I talked over you. No, that's that's. Um, <laughs> j- let me pick my jaw up from the floor. <laughs> Man, I I am so excited about all these. What are we calling it? Christ in the cape. Christ in the cape. That's. Whew. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. Um, well, cool, awesome. Well, you know, is there a Superman story that you? think uh that you're like that you would probably uh, is there a superman story that you really enjoy is that that you think nails the hits the target pretty pretty close for you Mm -hmm. um it it is tough to write stories for superman because he's invulnerable i think my my favorite story um like i said my my biggest interaction with the superman mythos is through the animated series and uh, later on in the run of that series, there was, um, I can't remember the setup, but for some reason, Batman was out of commission. So Clark Kent took on the, the mantle of Batman in order to uh, you know, suss out the mystery or whatever. And you know, one of my favorite lines from there is how Superman is able to make his voice sound exactly like Batman's because of, as he puts it, precise muscle control, which I just love as a very Superman kind of ability. But he has to pretend to be Batman throughout all of these things. So he has to hold back his power even more and pretend like he's just a guy in a bat costume. Um, and then it turns out that the big bad of the episode is Brainiac. So then Superman just gets to let loose. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm stuck on something. I have a question, but I don't know how we're how we doing on time. Oh, we could, you want to save it for tomorrow or? Uh, well, it was about the whole. It was about today's Christ in the Cape. Go for it. Um. <laughs> oh jeez. We're just gonna start right, a podcast. Oh, we'll just go from there. Is that cool with everyone? I'm- we're gonna stop this one. We're, gonna, we're not. We're not even gonna finish this movie. Oh we'll no! You, go got, you gotta finish. That. That's one of the rules. Oh yeah, that's the rules, yeah. man. That's one of the rules. So how does how does what we talked about today relate to mm, 
see, this has been a theme that from Bruce's perspective that we just now got in Justice League. We're going to get Bruce later, so you want to save it? You want to bring it back? No, because it doesn't involve, like, it's it's a completely opposite side of Bruce. Does Christ in the cape also apply to Batman since he wears a cape? Are we going to have that later? <laughs> it does. I don't know. It does. Oh, I mean, just go. Superman lends but. himself very easily to this kind of analysis. Also, because I think the movie itself is really trying to push that Superman is Jesus. You guys, did you get it? Did you see what we did? Yeah, but does Bruce necessarily think that he always says, and it's in in, in books as well. From my opinion, it's what he truly feels is that you know Clark is sometimes the most human out of all of us, and that kind of like is opposite from what the allegory that we were talking about today. Mm -hmm. Is it not? Yeah. I mean, that, that's true. I don't see that in this movie, but in other, in other places in the Superman mythos. Yeah. Yeah. We get that in the next film. So when we do justice league minute, we'll, we'll, we'll bring a, yeah. All right. We'll we'll bring you back for, for that (laughs) week. And then we'll talk about that. It's kind of like the the evolution of from where we're going, but yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, we're going to go ahead and wrap up for today. If you enjoyed everything you heard, find us on all social media at DCU Minute, not just Twitter. Um, and then Facebook, <laughs> DC Cinematic Minute Listener Society. You can find us there with other guests and other listeners of the show. And join the discussion. Let us know what you thought about today's minute. If you're catching up from Man of Steel Minute, just let us know what you got going on. And uh, let us know what, uh, if you have any answers to any of our questions or our theories, or if you have your own theories. Um, your own information, let us know. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you back tomorrow for minute 108 of Dawn of Justice.